Well, good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. So our text today, uh, in our text today, Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee. Uh, here's a picture, they're going to put a picture up there, of the Sea of Galilee back in April 2020. Yeah, there it is. Um, no people in the picture, because um, you can see it's one month into the pandemic, but there is a, there's a dog there swimming in the Sea of Galilee. Um, the Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. Um, it, six, it sits 696 feet below sea level, uh, making it the lowest lake in the world. Um, it's about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. Um, here is a painting describing our scripture this morning. It'll come up on the screen there. Um, it's by Rembrandt, yeah, and it's called... The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It was painted in 1632, and it was displayed for many years in an art museum in Boston until 1990. Uh, That's when it was stolen. At least I don't know where it is. So if you see this painting in someone's house, (laughs) uh, call the FBI because there's a $5 million reward for information leading to its discovery. So take a look at the painting itself. Uh, A small boat is being tossed about in the midst of a storm. There are 13 disciples. Yeah, put the painting, if you could, back up. There are 13 disciples on the boat because Rembrandt actually painted himself into the picture. Um, He's the guy sitting there holding holding the rope and looking straight out uh, with the blue in the center there. Uh, you can see right in front of him, one of the disciples is leaning over the edge of the boat. Uh, looks like he's probably seasick. You can see that some of the disciples look like they're focusing on the storm, while others are focusing on Jesus. Regardless of where they're looking, the first thing we can learn from this story is that we can be close to Jesus and still encounter storms. Sometimes Christians think we shouldn't have to deal with the storms of of life. Uh, But just because we're with Jesus doesn't mean we won't have troubles. All kinds of storms can strike. Storms affecting our health, our finances, our family. And just because we find ourselves in a storm doesn't mean that God doesn't love us and it doesn't mean that he's punishing us. Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 1 Peter 5.10 says, In his kindness God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. Think about that little boat in the storm, uh, wave after wave crashing over the bow, the wind howling and the the thunder crashing. Sometimes trouble in our life comes like that, like in waves crashing over us again and again. 
Sometimes we come out of one storm and then we end up in another. So funny story. There was this guy on a ranch who was being chased by a bull. He saw a hole in the ground and so he jumped into it. The bull ran by and the guy jumped out of the hole. The bull ran back at him and he jumped back down into the hole. And this happened several times over and over. Finally, someone who's standing over by the fence uh, yelled out, Hey man, why don't you just stay down in the hole? And the man yelled back, There's a rattlesnake in there. <laughs> so the prophet Amos said this in Amos 5.19. He said, In that day you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house, and he's bitten by a snake. Life can be tough, and Christians aren't immune. Um, sometimes it can feel like we're running from a lion, only to meet a bear, and then we're running from the bear, only to get bitten by a snake. Even the most faithful Christians that I know still have to deal with the storms of this life. The second thing we can learn from this story is this. Jesus uses the storms to test and grow our faith. When the disciples woke Jesus up, um, he asked them two questions. He said, why are you afraid? And do you still have no faith? God tests our faith in order to grow our faith. 1 Peter 1.7 says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ, Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. One of the storms of my life um, where I was really tested Tested my faith and grew my faith. Uh, took place over a span of two years, between 2012 and 2013. When my grandmother, who lived down in Florida, uh, went to be with the Lord in 2012, uh, I was named the executor of her estate in her will. Uh, I spent the year buried under a mountain of responsibilities. Uh, trying to find the original will. All I had was a copy. Um, her estate attorney had deceased, so I had to go hire another one. Uh, tons of bills to pay, accounts to close out, get copies of death certificates, funeral arrangements, regular trips to the bank to get things notarized. Oh, wait, that requires a medallion signature. Can't just be notarized. Oh, did I mention my grandmother was a bit of a hoarder? Uh, and she was born in 1919. And so you can imagine what one can collect uh, over a lifetime, that amount of time. So an estate sale, stuff for donations, stuff for the trash, selling her car. Oh, wait, uh, it needs a new battery before I can sell it getting her house ready for sale. Oh, wait, <laughs> the electric is still the original electric from the 1950s. 
That all had to be uh, rewired by an electrician. And so on, and so on, and so on. When my grandmother passed, uh, since it was just her and my mother living down in Florida, uh, we convinced my mother to move closer to us, to move to Kansas City. That's where we were living at the time. I was excited uh, to be able to set her up with a new life and finally be able to provide uh, the things that she had never had. If you have been here for any time, you've heard my story of how I grew up pretty poor. Um, so sold her house down in Florida, got her a new apartment in Kansas City, new furniture, new TV, new vehicle, at least it was new to her. For some reason, she wanted a green van. So I found a green Kia van. Got her cable, internet, laptop, email. She had not had any of those things before. I was sitting with her, helping her set up her email and trying to figure out, you know, how to watch, you know, she'd never, we never, we always had rabbit ears, right? And the, the, having cable TV, it was like, you know. Two weeks after we moved her into her new apartment, she was diagnosed with terminal stage four lung cancer. She was put on hospice and she moved in with us. Um, I had to break the lease on the apartment. I had to sell everything that I had just bought. She lived with us for 10 months before she went on to be with the Lord. Then I had to be the executor of her will. Which meant I had to go through that whole process all over again. And then just a few years later in 2017, um, my father went on to be with the Lord. I am just about to turn 50, and I'm already the patriarch of my family. Did this feel like I was in the midst of a huge storm during this period of time? Absolutely, absolutely. Was Jesus with me? Absolutely. Um, even though this is probably one of the hardest seasons of my life, uh, there were some really cool God stories, some things that came out of it, the best of which was the confident assurance of their salvation, all, all three of them. And that made it all worth it. Another thing we can learn from the scripture today is this. Uh, storms force us to cry out to Jesus. It's interesting. We know that at least four of the disciples were fishermen. Andrew, Peter, James, and John. I'm sure that they probably did everything they could to keep that boat afloat in the middle of that storm. I'm sure they trimmed the sails. They probably pointed the bow into the wind, right? They probably were rowing and bailing water out of the hull. But none of that was working. And so they called out to Jesus. When they woke Jesus up, they asked him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? 
Sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm, uh, our mind goes to the worst case scenario. Have you ever said that to God when you're in the middle of a storm? Like, God, don't you even care that I'm going through this? You don't have to wonder. God does care. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Some people misquote the Bible. They say it says that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what it says in the Bible. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When it comes to the storms of this life, God will allow the storm to get us to a place where we come to the end of ourselves and we cry out to Jesus. Paul understood this. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Another observation I want to make about this story is this. Jesus will either calm the storm or he will calm you. I find it interesting that Jesus was asleep in the middle of the storm. Um, this shows us a couple things. The first is that, of course, uh, Jesus was human, right? Fully God, fully man. He was, he was human, so he got tired, right, like the rest of us. But also it shows us that Jesus had such a sense of peace and tranquility um, that he could literally sleep in a boat in the middle of a raging storm. I told you that I grew up in Florida. I remember one night a hurricane came through and I literally slept through it. I woke up the next morning and there were all kinds of like limbs and, and debris in our yard and the street, pretty much everywhere I looked. I don't know that I had Jesus' perfect peace, but I was definitely a deep sleeper. So there were two storms on the Sea of Galilee that night. Two storms. One was the storm happening outside. The other was a storm of fear raging in the disciples' hearts. Fear, as you know, could be more destructive than the storm itself. Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? At first, the question seems strange. Like, who wouldn't be afraid when a storm hits them? Like, you're in this little boat in the middle of the water. Who wouldn't be afraid? But then Jesus asked them, do you still have no faith? The implication is that if they had faith in Jesus, they wouldn't have fear. 
The answer to fear is faith. And choosing faith over fear is a choice that we all have to make every single day of our lives. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. And then, of course, you're probably familiar with Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in our scripture today, Jesus is essentially saying this. He's saying, why are you afraid when I'm in the boat? Um, The phrase is, fear not and do not be afraid um, are the most repeated commands in the Bible. They appear hundreds of times throughout Scripture. Jesus says in John 14, verse 1, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. So if faith comes by hearing the good news of Christ, then fear comes from hearing the world and the lies and the accusations of the enemy. Right? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Any of you remember the... Uh, the broadcaster Paul Harvey. Um, He told a story once of a chicken farmer in Tennessee who thought that a fox was raiding his his hen house at night because he was losing hens, he was losing eggs. So one night he he loaded his shotgun, he put it beside his bed. In the middle of the night he heard a ruckus coming from the the hen house, so so he went outside. He was wearing only his nightshirt. As he got closer to the dark hen house, he started to get a little afraid. Um, What if that fox attacks me? What if it's not a fox? What if it's a bobcat or a cougar? He was staying there in the doorway of the hen house, and these were the thoughts going through his mind. And it was at that exact moment that his hound dog came up and snuck up behind him, put his cold nose under his nightshirt, And bam, nine hens lost their lives that night. (laughs) Paul Harvey said it wasn't the shotgun that killed those hens, it was fear. So Jesus is the bringer of peace. His presence either calms the storm itself or calms the storm that's inside of our hearts. When Jesus woke up, He rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. 
Now, the Greek word here for great is megas. Uh, when Jesus spoke, there was a mega calm. In this case, Jesus spoke to the storm itself. But sometimes he can speak to the storm that's in our heart. In either case, peace comes from being in the presence of the master. No storm is too big for Jesus, right? Here's another point. If Jesus is in your boat, you know you'll make it through the storm. In the midst of the storm, the disciples had forgotten what Jesus said. He said, let's cross over to the other side. Think about it. When the creator of the universe makes up his mind and he's going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there's nothing in heaven or earth that could have sunk that boat. The strongest hurricane in the world couldn't have sunk it. All the navies in the world couldn't have sunk that boat. The devil himself couldn't have sunk that boat. They were going to arrive on the other side of that Sea of Galilee because Jesus had spoken the words. The disciples didn't understand how much authority Jesus had. They were still kind of focused on him like being the guy who would set them free from the Roman occupation. They didn't realize that when Jesus spoke those words, let's go to the other side, he had as much power and as much authority as the words God speaks in Genesis when he says, let there be light. And it's because of this authority that peace comes from being in his presence. We can also trust that God is good. When we go through the storms of life, Sometimes we can doubt God's goodness. Sometimes we can doubt his sovereign will. We, we cry out, Lord, why am I going through this storm? When we're going through painful situations, we wonder whether God's, if we're honest, we wonder whether God's made a mistake or whether he's forgotten us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Our God is a good God who's always working for our good, right? We see that throughout Scripture, even if it means that he has to take us through storms in our lives. God says in Isaiah 43, he says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. We can trust that God is good, and we can trust that he is still in control. Um, our God is the God who parted the Red Sea. Our God is the God who made the sun stand still in the middle of the sky. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. 
Um, and with a word, with a word, he can create and he can control nature. Even when it doesn't look like it, he's still in control. One of the greatest disasters in history was the sinking of the Titanic in April 15th, 1912. Um, it wasn't a storm that sank her, of course, it was an iceberg. But one could argue uh, that it was also the hubris, the, the excessive pride of the shipbuilders that sank her. Um, Titanic was supposed to be unsinkable, but that's what it did. It sank. One of the crew members said, said this, uh, God himself couldn't sink this ship. So we all know the story, uh, how there weren't enough lifeboats and how over 1,500 people died. But here's the part of the story you might not know. The Titanic was built in Belfast, North Ireland. After the news of the sinking, uh, the people of Belfast went out into the streets weeping and mourning. The ship sank on a Monday. The following Sunday, at Derry Presbyterian Church, uh, there in Belfast, they were mourning because 16 of the men who died on the Titanic were from their congregation. They had been working as engineers on that ship. The church that day was packed, standing room only. The pastor preached on the exact verses that we're going through today. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. Here's what he said to the congregation. There was only one vessel in all of history that was truly unsinkable, the little boat occupied by our sleeping Savior. And then he said, and the only hearts that can weather the storms of life are hearts with Jesus inside. So after the disciples saw Jesus calm the storm, they said, who is this man? Even the wind and waves seem to obey him. That is the most important question we will ever answer. Who is this man? Who is this man? He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you can absolutely trust him. I want to close with a poem that answers this question who is this man, Jesus? He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. And the leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. And the people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. 
Hitler couldn't silence him, and the New Age can't replace him. He is light, love, longevity, and Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right, his word is eternal, his will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is our redeemer, savior, guide, peace, joy, comfort, Lord, and our soon coming king. He rules our life. We serve him because his bond is love, his burden is light, and his goal for us is abundant life. We follow him because we are God's children, and he is the wisdom of the wise, the powerful of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, the overseer of the overcomers, and the sovereign Lord of all that was and is and is to come. If this seems impressive to you, and you are not born again, then pray forgiveness today and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Then, try this on for size. His goal is relationship with us. He will never leave us, forsake us, mislead us, forget us, overlook us, and he will never cancel my appointment in his appointment book. When we fall, he lifts us up. When we fail, he forgives. When we are weak, he is strong. When we are lost, he is the way. When we are afraid, he is our courage. When we stumble, he steadies us. When we are hurt, he heals us. When we are broken, he mends us. When we are blind, he leads us. When I am hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is God, and he is faithful. I am his, and he is mine. My Father in heaven can whip the father of this world. So if you are wondering why I feel so secure, understand this. I delight in him, and he will fulfill the desires of my heart. I am free from any condemnation brought against me, and I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. I am significant because I am a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and a channel of his life. I am God's temple, and I have been chosen and appointed to bear his fruit. God is in control and I'm on his side, though so all is well with my soul. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, you indeed are our Savior. Lord, you have authority over all the powers in heaven and on the earth. You have authority over the powers of darkness and Satan himself. And it's in your presence that we find the peace only you can provide. Lord, I pray for those people hearing me who right now are in the middle of a storm. I pray, God, that they would draw near to you and you would give them your peace and you would bring an end to their storm. We know, Lord, that the, the plans you have for us are plans for good and not for disaster to give us a future and a hope. We know, Lord, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear evil, for you're with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good God who loves us and protects us, and that you are still in control. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.